Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Engineering Student Experience Podcast. I'm Paul Nissenson from the Mechanical Engineering Department at Cal Poly Pomona. Think about how often you use water on a daily basis. Water is used for bathing, for drinking, for cooking, for keeping your plants alive, for washing the cars, for using the toilet, and dozens of other uses as well. In a modern home or office building, it's incredibly easy to access clean water nowadays. Simply turn a knob or push a button, and a seemingly endless stream of water magically appears, often for very, very low cost. Creating easy access to a plentiful supply of clean water has probably saved more lives than almost anything else humans have done since it allows us to rehydrate safely, to remove harmful microorganisms from our bodies, and to remove waste from where we live. But how does water get from some reservoir, like a lake or an underground aquifer, to a faucet? Well, engineers around the world are right now diligently working behind the scenes at water utility agencies to ensure that water continues to be available all day, every day. Joining me today to talk about what it's like to work at a water utility agency are Steve Johnson and Gerardo Maldonado, both of whom work at the Desert Water Agency. This agency is responsible for importing water and managing groundwater in the Palm Springs and Cathedral City area, which are desert communities located about two hours east of Los Angeles. Steve has a civil engineering background and has been working at the agency for 26 years. He's worked on many engineering projects over those years and now is the assistant manager at the Desert Water Agency, overseeing various engineering teams, dealing with budgets and, well, other managerial tasks. Gerardo has a mechanical engineering background and is a staff engineer at the Desert Water Agency. And you may remember Gerardo back in episode 13 when we talked about engineering in the music industry. At that time, Gerardo was just about to graduate and, as it turns out, the Desert Water Agency was his first job after graduation. During our conversation, Steve and Gerardo talk about the various projects they've worked on to ensure clean water is always available to their customers. We discuss the importance of internships and the fundamentals of engineering or FE exam to gain a foothold in their field, as well as the importance of communication skills for interacting with the public and with colleagues. We cover some of the benefits of working for a public entity like the Desert Water Agency compared to a private company. Steve also shares how the field of water management has changed during his 26 years at the Desert Water Agency and how the agency adjusted to the coronavirus pandemic. All right, so now let's go hear from Steve Johnson and Gerardo Maldonado. I hope you enjoy the conversation. All right, well, I am here with Steve Johnson and Gerardo Maldonado from the Desert Water Agency. And today we're going to talk about the wonderful world of water management. Uh, so first of all, Steve and Gerardo, uh, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy Friday uh, to, to have this conversation. Thanks, Paul, for having, having us. Yeah, thank you. So before we jump into, you know, groundwater management, um, I'd like to get a little background for the listeners. So maybe we can start with Steve first. So Steve, how did you first, you know, maybe become interested in engineering and what was the path that you took to get where you are today? Well, you know, to be honest with you, Paul, when I was in high school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I was good in math. I enjoyed math and uh, all the math classes that I was taking. Didn't know anything about being an engineer. And what I wanted to do uh, with my life was pursue something that dealt with math. And I just uh, applied for my colleges as an engineer. I think my counselor said, hey, you know, you're good at math. And why don't you try to be an engineer? I said, okay, I will try that. And I applied for colleges and I, I was accepted in Cal Poly. Uh, that was many years ago. But, uh, you know, they didn't, have, uh, they didn't have STEM classes when I was in high school. Uh, you know, you took your basic courses 
and you just uh, I think a lot of kids that I knew were pursuing things that their parents were maybe their father was a attorney or a doctor or a, a worked for as an engineer you know my dad was in law enforcement I knew I didn't want to be a, a police officer that wasn't my so I got into engineering and it's been a great career path for me. So how many years have you been working at the Desert Water Agency? Uh, 26 years. Yeah, it's been a long, long time. I, you know, I knew I wanted to be someplace that I could grow and have a career. And when I got this job, I knew within, you know, probably a month that this was the place for me. And a little bit later, we'll we'll try to get into some of those interesting stories that you must have had over the last 26 years. So Gerardo, um, anyone who's listened to this podcast might have heard a little bit of background from you. I think it was back in like episode 13 or so, which was uh, talking about engineering in the music industry. Um, but that was like a year, you know, a year and a half ago that we recorded that before the pandemic, actually just before the pandemic. Uh, for the listener, can you give uh, some background information about your educational and, and career path so far? Yeah, so I mean, growing up, engineering was always very natural to me. I always liked to take apart my toys and see how they worked. And so as I grew up, I got more into music. And again, like we said, we recorded that music podcast. And it was during that time that I really discovered myself and the kind of engineer I wanted to be. I, you know, I also worked when I was in college, I also worked with the STEAM program where I mentored high school students about, you know, different STEAM, STEM and arts um, career paths that they could take. And like I said, those, those experiences really molded me into the engineer I wanted to be. I didn't want to work for a defense company. I didn't want to work for a company that was trying to maximize profits, you know, by ripping off their customers, you know? I wanted to work for a company that really cared about its customers. And so when I saw the position at DWA open up, it was perfect. It, it lined up with exactly what I wanted to do in the hometown that I grew up in. You know, it was, it was perfect for me. So I'm very thankful I got the job. Past year has been incredible. I've learned a lot over the past year, more than I could ever imagine learning about the city I grew up in. So. Steve, uh, what tasks is the uh, Desert Water Agency largely responsible for? And is it pretty typical of other you know, water agencies, uh, the types of responsibilities that you have? Yeah, well, the uh, Desert Water Agency was formed back in the 60s uh, in Palm Springs as basically as to uh, manage the groundwater with the city found back in probably the late 40s, 1950s, they realized that they were pumping all the groundwater and the water levels were drastically dropping and they knew they had to fix this. So they developed, uh, they went to the state and created Desert Water Agency. We were tasked to become a state water contractor, which allowed us to import water into the valley to maintain the stability of the groundwater then as the agency was developing, we purchased a couple local water retail companies uh, out here. One was uh, the Palm Springs Water Company and the Cathedral City Water Company. That got us into the retail business of selling the water. So we not only manage the groundwater uh, and import groundwater, we also uh, sell retail water, drinking water. And we've gotten into recycled water and also, uh, we do a little uh, managing of the sewer uh, collection in Cathedral City. As far as other agencies, we're a little unique in the sense that most water agencies are either a retail agency or a import uh, agency. We, we do both. So that, that is a unique uh, aspect of our company. And for anyone who's not familiar with the uh, Southern California area, Palm Springs is essentially just a desert. Uh, and uh, in the summertime, I, I used to go out there when I was a bit younger, but um, I mean, the summertime, it would typically get to, you know, 110 was pretty common uh, and almost no rain, right? Every once in a while, I guess a monsoon comes through or something like that. So for the amount of people living there, 
you have to have uh, the importation of water into the region. So at the Desert Water Agency and at any typical, you know, municipal or regional water agency, what kind of engineers would you typically encounter? Here at the agency, we have several types of engineers. It's not just civil engineers. We we have mechanical engineers, uh, and chemical engineers. Uh, so uh, there's a broad range of uh, engineering tasks that we do, and we're, and we're not unique to agencies. If you'll go to any other water agency, you'll you'll find the same types of engineers at those uh, facilities. Uh, you're, you're dealing with water quality, which is uh, important for distributing. If you have to distribute chlorine to your system, so the chemical engineers are important on that aspect. Of course, we're dealing with pumps and motors, so mechanical engineers uh, and even electrical engineers for our to run our sites for those designs. So with the uh, plants, uh, water plants or sewer treatment plants. So it, it's not just a civil engineering uh, field. So I know Gerardo has a mechanical engineering background. So did, did you feel your mechanical engineering background was sufficient to, uh, to work at the uh, Desert Water Agency? Yeah, so when I first started, I was actually really nervous because I was like, you know, I'm going into a civil's world and gonna see kind of how how I can adapt myself to that situation. But the more I was there, the more I realized like how much mechanical and civil really overlap and how many of the same principles and ideas from mechanical apply to civil engineering problems. You know, when I was in school, I never used AutoCAD. We always use SolidWorks. But, you know, doing that transfer, it was very, it was a very easy transformation to go from, from SolidWorks to AutoCAD. And so it was very natural. And then, you know, some of the problems that we have, you know, with the pumps, you know, I have to design a pump from this elevation to this elevation, you know, have to make sure, you know, it's a fluids problem. And a lot of those same principles apply and it's, it's the same equations. So engineering really teaches you how to think rather than how to solve problems. It teaches you how to, how to solve problems. So, Is there a high demand still for engineers in this field, Steve? Absolutely. There's always uh, high demands. Uh, what's unique about water agencies is the fact that we're not re uh, dependent on development per se, or there's always a need for water. So we don't have those high and lows when if development is really high, of course, you're going to see a lot of, uh, and I'm, spe I'm speaking uh, on the civil side of things, you'll see uh, a lot of demand for engineers on for uh, private industries. And then as development drops, uh, maybe not so much, but as far as water agencies, we're, we're, you, you need that water 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and engineers are vital for, for this uh, business. I had the opportunity to talk to Gerardo about a separate thing a couple months ago, and he was telling me what his, his job has been like so far. And I asked him, you know, what, what's a typical day like for you there? And I think his response was, there is no typical day. And then he proceeded to tell me all the different types of jobs he did over the past year at the agency. So what is, you know, can you talk about some of the different projects uh, that you've worked on over the years, Steve? You know, I started here as uh, just out of college, basically. Uh, just a little background of, of my, uh, not educational, but my working in, uh, background. Uh, when I got out of high school, I, I uh, went to Cal Poly. I worked at a small surveying and engineering firm in Riverside while I was at Cal Poly. And uh, that was a very important uh, part of my life. I, as I was learning engineering at school, I was practicing it. But, you know, I did things drafting and uh, I took out the trash. I swept the steps. I delivered drawings uh, to the city. And uh, I went out and did field surveying with the field crews. Uh, so I was learning my trade. I was, I was going. I then got a job. Once when I graduated Cal Poly, I got a job at Dames & Moore. Dames & Moore is a large in international uh, firm uh, that was based or is still based in Los Angeles. So I made the two-hour drive every day from Riverside into LA, and 
I worked on, uh, for the first three months, I worked for the uh, Red Line subway. They were building the subway through Hollywood Boulevard at that time. And it was my job to go down into the tunnels and I measured the ground, uh, the water that was seeping from up above from leaky water mains into the tunnels. And I had to measure how much water was uh, flowing through the tunnels. There was a little weir set up and you, you measured water over the weir. You measured the, uh, the height of the water. I did that uh, for three months. I also measured groundwater levels all along uh, Hollywood Boulevard. They had monitoring wells. Uh, they were looking for settlement uh, issues because as they were boring through the, through the ground there, the buildings were starting to settle and they were trying to figure out how they could solve that problem. What they ended up doing was they, they were grouting in front of the, uh, the drill bit that, that was forming the tunnel. It was really an interesting job. Uh, I also then became a soils inspector for the company where I would go out anywhere that was doing uh, construction for like at FedEx was building a warehouse at LAX and they, I would inspect the foundations. USC Medical Center was building a new high rise facility. I was inspecting, I went out and inspected the foundations for those. I then, uh, I worked there for about a year and then I, I uh, got this job out in, in Palm Springs and it, I started as where Gerardo is right now as a entry-level engineer. I, I did pipeline replacement jobs. I uh, designed well pumping plants, designed, I did grading plans for our, we built a solar facility out in our back uh, operations facility yard. And uh, I did a recycled water plant booster for the Palm Springs High School. I did all the surveying work for all these jobs. So you're constantly doing different things. I think Gerardo had mentioned that. It's not, you're not just sitting behind a computer every day uh, looking at numbers or so forth. We do all our, our engineers do all the AutoCAD work. They write the contracts, they manage the projects. So that that's kind of a typical engineering uh, career here at the agency. So now in your position as assistant manager, how has your kind of day-to-day tasks shifted compared to when you were in Gerardo's position uh, being an entry-level engineer? Now it's about managing people. Uh, I'm managing the engineering department, the construction department, the operations department, uh, and facilities and safeties. I oversee the, all of those departments. Uh, they, of course, they have supervisors, so I manage the supervisors. Uh, but it's a lot of um, tasking to ensure that uh, the people are, are getting their work done correctly. Uh, I'm also uh, focused now on the import water side of things. Where, where, how do we import the water? What uh, you know. We are a state water contractor, which means we can import water from the north, from the delta up north. The issue is, is there is no facilities that are constructed to get that water all the way to the desert, but there is the Colorado River aqueduct that was built in, I think, the 30s from Lake Havasu, comes all the way down into Riverside, actually, Lake, Lake Matthews. Well, we, what we do is we swap our state water contractor water for, we give that to Metropolitan Water District. They then deliver us our water through the Colorado River Aqueduct. So there's a lot that's involved with that. And I am, uh, I, I deal with that side of things. A lot of reports to the board, our board, we have a five member board who uh, we report to. So I write a lot of reports for them. So it's not so much uh, the design part anymore, which I do miss. Uh, Gerardo, since you're still at the uh, entry level uh, position, what are some of the, I imagine you have to do a lot of you know, field work. What are some of the projects you've worked on over the last year or so? 
So my first project was a pipeline replacement, and that just entails, you know, going out there, just redoing your research, getting all the parcel maps, drawing it up on AutoCAD, then going out there, surveying, figuring out how many services you're going to replace, all of that, creating all that paperwork for your engineering techs, um, who process all that paperwork. And then since we had our construction crew do that first project, it was really easy. I just talked to our construction department and said, hey, these are the plans. This is kind of my idea of it. They gave me some feedback. You know, we can have this back and forth where if they think we could do it in a better way, I'll go back and draw it up. And then once we're out there, I'm just kind of supervising, making sure, you know, we're kind of going as, as what's on the plans and all of that. Some other projects I've done, we did some concrete replacement. We had some concrete that was falling out of well site. And it was because we had a chlorine building in front of that, in front of that concrete. And so the chlorine started eating up at the concrete. And so it was my job to kind of go out there, assess the damage, replace some of the damaged rebar, um, and then put find some concrete that would prevent it from happening again. So we had to find some chemical resistant concrete, um, you know, and had to talk to a contractor and say, hey, you know, this is the concrete we're using. Give me an estimate how much it's going to be, process all that paperwork. So it's just a lot of phone calls, making sure a lot of paperwork where I'm like, okay, if we're going to do this concrete, it needs to be up to spec. It needs to be according to our um, specific drawings, all of that, all of that stuff. And for bigger projects, I have a bigger project coming up where we're going to get a contractor instead of having our construction department do a pipeline replacement. And for that, you know, like Steve said, I'm going to have to drop a, a contract, make sure that the contractors are following that contract, get a supervisor for that from our engineering firm that we talked to and all of that, and just have that back and forth conversations. Hey, how's the, how's the contractors doing? Oh, you know, they did this, they're doing this. We're at this stage of the project. Okay, cool. Make sure you make sure this happens, make sure this happens. And so it's just a lot of back and forth. I even get customer calls. Sometimes people complaining about water pressure or milky water, where it's, where it's just natural stuff that happens in our water. And that I just kind of walk them through why it happens, what they can do to fix it. It's very interesting. Every day is, is somewhat different. Some of the fun days are surveying. Some of the more mundane tasks are just paperwork, you know, getting all the POs in order, making sure we have all the, all the items we need for a project and all of that. And as a mechanical engineer, when you were going through college, did you have any experience dealing with concrete or surveying or, or a lot of those tasks? Definitely not concrete. You know, growing up, my dad, my dad was a handyman. So all the concrete experience I knew was from working with him. <laughs> but those were just ready mixed bags, not this $100 a bag kind of concrete. So it was, it's definitely a learning curve. You know, at first I was like, what am I jumping myself into? It's kind of overwhelming. But, you know, once you start breaking it down, you're like, oh, okay. You know, you need this, this, this ratio, this water mix ratio, this aggregate for surveying no clue. I understood the basics, you know, I had a couple of friends who were civil engineers where they would tell me, you know, you take a point here, point here, point here. And at that point, it's all trigonometry. Okay, cool. And, you know, so I understood the basics and I'm, I mean, I watched some videos, you know, I watched some YouTube videos on the basics of surveying and the fundamentals of it. And so I understood what surveying was, never did it. Um, when I started, you know, we have a great team of engineers that really helped me and walked me through the steps and said, okay, you know, once you get your points here, you put them onto AutoCAD, you can work from there. And so that, I'm very thankful for our engineering team because they, they didn't just throw me in the deep end and said, good luck. You know, they, they started, they started me at the kiddie pool <laughs> and walked me through all this, all the steps. So. Yeah. I, I, I uh, gave you that answer or that question. Cause I, I knew the answer and, and uh, the, the reason I wanted to, to ask that question is just to, to let any you know student out there who might be concerned about not having all the skills they need when they leave school, you will learn them in on the job often. And exactly. And it's, it's really important to ask questions to the engineers already there. You know, that's what I learned is don't be afraid. You know, it's, it's a humbling experience. You know, you, you come out of college thinking, you know, I got my degree in engineering, you know, I'm all that. But once you're out in the field and you have no idea what you're doing, it's a very humbling experience to be like, hey, what do I do from here? Or like, how do I start this project? You know, and I think it's really good for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Gerardo, I was a civil engineer student and I had those same fears. Oh, my gosh, am I going to know how to do this? 
if this is not school anymore. So any student, I think how I look at things, Paul, is that if you are a student and you've demonstrated that you can get your degree, that means that you have knowledge on how to solve problems. What And maybe you don't have the experience to, you didn't learn how to survey per se at school, but you've demonstrated because you have a let's say a mechanical engineer's degree you've demonstrated that you are capable of learning and solving problems and and this may be a new task but it's okay so that's uh, any engineer out there don't don't be intimidated by maybe not having that coursework uh, that you learned at school i think a lot of us we take for granted that when I turn a faucet, water is going to magically come out. Uh, so Steve, could you uh, tell me, like if I lived in Palm Springs and I turned on a faucet, maybe I'm staying at a hotel out there and taking a vacation, what steps occur behind the scenes, under maybe underground, uh, that get water from some reservoir somewhere into the sink? Yeah, you know, that's a very common question that people will call, uh, Gerardo can testify to this, that they, they really don't understand the process. Uh, so out here in the desert, I think of the desert, it, it's a large bowl of sand. In all those millions of years, there was water, it seeped into the ground, and we're now just sitting on top of uh, this large aquifer of, of water in this big sand bowl. And what uh, the people, uh, you know, back the settlers, they realized they initially they were pulling water from the local mountains. And they built a bunch of irrigation canals, even uh, the Native Americans who lived out here, that's how they would irrigate. They, they would irrigate through the local stream water. Uh, once the uh, settlers came out here, they realized they drilled some wells and found this abundant amount of groundwater and start pumping that water out. And, and that's what we still do here in Palm Springs. We uh, have several wells. I think we have somewhere around 30 operational groundwater wells uh, throughout the city. Uh, those wells are, are very deep. They're drilled to about a thousand feet. The pumps are set about 350 feet below grade. And we draw the deeper water from the aquifer through the, through the well uh, casing out into uh, our transmission mains. That water then is pushed up to, uh, we have several reservoirs uh, in the local mountains, foothills that surround Palm Springs, that the water is pushed to those reservoirs. There's, there are steel reservoirs. The largest is a 12 million gallon reservoir. Most of them are between one and five million gallons. And then that's, that's our, our distribution system. So as the water is being pushed to the reservoirs, we have a, a large transmission mains, 36 inch, 42 inch water mains that, that will carry the water to the reservoirs. And there are smaller distribution mains that feed neighborhoods, little eight inch mains. Those mains are carried throughout the city. And then you have your service that's tapped off of those mains and they then feed whatever structure may be on the property, whether it's a hotel or a house or a business. And the reservoirs, of course, they provide the pressure. And uh, that's one thing that we get a lot of people, of course, fluid mechanics, right? Your pressure is dependent on your height of your water and the elevation of your property, right? That's your basic fluid mechanic problem. So, so people who may live in little higher elevations, their pressure, of course, is going to be a little less. And we'll get a lot of calls saying, hey, can you, you know, turn, push that button to get my pressure higher? <laughs> and we have to explain to them that well, it's, it's based on the water level of the reservoir and your your house or your business elevation. And there's really not much we can do about that. You can't change gravity? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, and then as far as, 
as I had mentioned, they realized in the 40s and the 50s that the groundwater, uh, although there was a, a lot, it was not sustainable. And we then started to import that Colorado River water to maintain the groundwater levels. And we've done a really good job at doing that. It's, it's, it's been um, very successful. And we have been importing water since the early 70s out here. So if you're driving into Palm Springs from, let's say, LA, and you're on the 10 freeway, and you come up uh, with Whitewater Pass, and you start to come down into the valley, there's all the windmills everywhere. If you kind of look off to the south of the freeway, there's a large amount of it. They're hard to see, but they're percolation ponds. And that's the Colorado water that's being uh, perked into the ground. And to add to that, um, another common question that I get called a lot about is why our water is so milky. And so, again, like Steve was saying, we live in the sand bowl where all this water just seeps to the ground. And so I have to explain to the customers, you know, that that white water is just air bubbles, you know, so because we have to pump that water up. And so once that water goes up um, the, through the pumps, you get bubbles in that water. And if you just pour some water out, you'll hear the bubbles popping. You're, you'll see the bubbles rising and that milky water just becomes clear. And so that's another common thing that we always have to explain to our customers. And we also get comments about our, our water being hard, which is kind of weird when you think about what is hard water. It's water, <laughs> it's liquid. But um, what they're talking about is the calcium and the minerals that are in the water. That is um, a natural thing because we're pumping, we're pumping groundwater. You know, when it goes through that ground, you're getting all those minerals from, from the sand and all of that. So it's just one of those common questions that we can't really change what, what our water is like, but we just explain to them kind of what we just did now is just the whole process and, the, and they start understanding like, oh, okay, so... And our water is very clean. I've talked to our, our lab guy and he said we have some of the cleanest water he's seen in all of California. So, And besides getting calls about water pressure, water clarity, mineral content, in what ways do each of you interact with the public? I deal with the public uh, uh, tremendously when we have our board meetings. The public will come in. They will ask questions about projects that we might be doing and we'll have to interact with them, explain uh, what a pipeline replacement project is, why we're doing it. Uh, a lot of it might have to deal with the economics of it. There, since there, it's the, we're a public agency, of course, we, our rates that the, our, the people out here pay, pay for our salaries and all of our infrastructure facilities. So they're very concerned about how we're spending money. So. We'll have a lot of discussions with the public regarding uh, budgets and costs and so forth. I deal with the board, our board, in regards to water quality issues that might come up. I'll, I might have to explain to them in our board meetings where the public is present, why uh, we have to maybe test for certain things and uh, why it's important for us, what regulations might be coming down that we have to follow. So having good communication skills is vital to being an engineer. You, you know, I personally, I was not a very good public speaker and my written skills were maybe not the best, <laughs> but, but what I've realized is it is extremely important as an engineer to be able to communicate, to convey a message, and to be able to not only verbally, but written communications. It's extremely important. Um, for me, it's a bit less, um, other than the customer calls. I usually get stopped when I'm out surveying or during a pipeline replacement project. Um, I'm usually out there, you know, I have my hard hat, my vest on, and they see me with the clipboard, and I'm usually the guy they want to talk to. <laughs> Uh, they usually come up to me and say, oh, what are we doing? And I just explain to them, you know, this is exactly what we're doing. This is why, uh, you know, and that's pretty much it. I don't, other than, other than that, I don't get much interaction with the public. So you have to talk uh, occasionally with the public. Uh, how important is communication in your own job 
you know, working with coworkers, working with other people at the Desert Water Agency? Once again, it's uh, not only communicating to the public, but being able to communicate to a fellow uh, staff is vital. You have to be able to speak with our construction department staff, explain what we want to, to have constructed. You not only have to be able to talk, but you have to listen and be a good listener. You know, they've been doing this for many years. They're out in the fields. They'll explain to you that, hey, that may not be the best way to design uh, this pipeline because of things that you as an engineer, maybe you didn't realize that uh, there was these issues out there. Maybe there would be a coupling in, in the way that we didn't think about. So not only being able to communicate, but to listen is extremely important. As I'm now uh, the assistant manager here and supervising, as you grow in a company, you're going to end up supervising people. And some of the hardest uh, parts of the job is dealing with how people communicate with each other. So I, I once again, I cannot stress how important it is to have those communication skills. Gerardo, you might have some things. Yeah, I mean, at least in the engineering department, I'm always talking to my coworkers, you know, they've done these projects way more than I've done them. There's sometimes where I'm doing something and I'm and they say, Hey, think about doing it this way. And it's just something I never even thought of that is now in the back of my mind from from now on. And so, and kind of like Steve said, talking to the other departments, you know, I, I've been talking to operate to our operations department for something I'm designing for them. And I'm like, hey, this is kind of what my idea is. What do you guys think? Oh, I like it. You know, what if we use this pump instead of this one? Okay, let's do it. You know, they're going to, at the end of the day, they're going to be the ones using this facility more than I am. So if I could get it to their liking and I could be on good terms with them, even better. So Steve. Um... What are some of the main benefits of working for a public entity like the Desert Water Agency versus, you know, working for, uh, let's say, a private company? Yeah, you know, I've worked for both. I worked for the firm there uh, in L.A. and that small engineering firm in Riverside. You know, I, I look at it this way. In the private industry, you have clients and you got to get the job done there's a lot of pressure to get it done budget-wise, and that may mean that you're going to work instead of 40 hours a week, you might work 60, 65 hours to get that project done. And it's 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 a lot of pressure on on that side of things. That and I saw that when I worked in for that large firm in LA, I was working. <laughs> multiple hours a day. I had to work on Saturdays. I worked on Sundays. It was, it felt like it was just never ending. And uh, the other thing that I realized too, and I had mentioned this, is that uh, as far as civil engineering goes, as if the economy is not doing well and building is not doing well, your consultants don't have your clients, and your job security may not be there. What I found working for the agency is number one, budget is important. We want to get things done efficiently and in a timely manner and uh, cost wise, we, we ensure that we do it in a, a, a way that is the cheapest, I guess. But the stress of we can, we can dictate our, our schedule. If the project can go, it doesn't necessarily need to be done in two weeks. If we feel, hey, realistically, it can go four weeks, we're going to do it in four weeks. And we don't rely on that overtime. So uh, that that is the one thing that I found uh, working at the agency uh, as far as stress on the job. The other aspect of working at the agency was the, the benefits that we have for not only uh, your health benefits, but your retirement benefits. And when you're a young person coming out of school, I don't know if retirement is something you're thinking about initially. Uh, I know uh, I kind of was <laughs> a little bit, but I, I was married too. And, uh, you know, uh, and 
so I looked at the retirement package that they had here at the agency and uh, all water agencies have really good retirement packages and, and good health benefits for you and your family. So those, those were the two thing, driving factors that I saw. And, and the other aspect too is the fact that I'm not a number here, whereas uh, that firm in LA, I was uh, just a number. And there was one point where I, I was in the field a lot, but I would come in and I had a desk kind of on this, in this area, they put a desk where no one was. And I would sit there and there was no one around me. And one day I was making copies and this, uh, one of the uh, secretaries said, who are you? And I said, you know, I work here. And she goes, well, how long you, you've been working here? I said, well, about seven months. And she, she had no clue who I was or what I did. And, and I just realized, you know, it's, it was a large firm, but I was just kind of a, a number. Yeah. And, and to add to that, I mean, I very much appreciate what Steve said about, you know, not working overtime, you know, and when you're in school, you always hear about these nightmare of jobs that, you know, you're working 70 hours a week, 60 hours a week. And for me, family is always really important. So having that time off on the weekend where I don't have to worry about bringing my work home, it's something that I very much appreciate. And on the weekends, I can just really relax rather than about my projects. Obviously, we still have deadlines. But like Steve said, we, we're given enough time to meet those deadlines. And so it's, it's something that if you could definitely get promised when you're, when you're being hired, definitely take advantage of something that's not, not going to work you over time just because you need to meet some deadline. Yeah, I know Gerardo just recently had a, had a, a child. So I'm sure right now you're thinking about, you know, if I, if I had to give up an extra 10 hours a week to my job, you know, how much time am I going to be? I mean, that's how much time you'll be taking away from your, your kids. So exactly, exactly. And like Steve said, I mean, the, the, the pace competitive, it's something that's on pretty much on the average of, of what most engineers get paid, probably even a bit more, in my opinion, benefits, all of that. So it's something that you should definitely be thinking of when you're getting hired. Yeah. And I would, I'd always recommend to, um, to students who are about to go into the workforce, the salary that you take home might be less, but then when you factor in the retirement benefits, it might swing your, your decision way in the other direction of working for the public sector. So definitely always consider what kind of retirement benefits um, are available. Exactly. So we're recording this right now uh, in June, 2021, and things are looking, uh, at least here in California, things are, are looking like we're finally getting past the pandemic. It's beginning to get into the rearview mirror. Um, there's a lot of optimism in this state anyways. How has the pandemic or how did the pandemic impact work at your agency? Because, you know, you have to have the water flowing. Like there, there, have, there has to be work that, that always has to be done. And now that the pandemic is beginning to kind of wind down here, do you see any lasting impacts in how you do your work day to day? Well, it was very, it was a challenging year. You know, we hired, we hired Gerardo right in the middle of this and our staff, what we learned real quick is, can we have our staff work from home and still get our work done? Because you're correct, Paul, we had to get our water. The water has to be delivered. And it's, it's extremely important for the public, for health reasons, and so forth. So we, we learned very quickly how we can do that. And our engineers were able to work from home. They'd come in once a week and kind of spread their time through the week so that they could. There are some things that they couldn't do at home, but for the most part, they were able to work from home. Our construction departments, they worked as normal. The only difference was that they had to wear masks out in the field and they could only have one person in a car. Our operations department, they are the ones in charge of the, the pumps and so forth. They worked as normal. We just staggered their starting time. And uh, as I said, our engineers were able to work from home. We were able to do pipeline designs. Uh, we completed, I think, two designs 
we did uh, our reservoir recoding project, all with the staff for the most part away from the office. The thing that I see is that being a public agency, it is important for us though to be in the office in case the public does come in. We've had our office closed since March of last year. The public has not been able to come into our office, but when we are open, we we get the public that comes in. They come in and ask questions. They need to talk to engineers about. We have developers who come in, want to discuss their projects, go over plans and so forth. Luckily, with the office being closed, you know, development kind of slowed down and, and, and we didn't have the need to have the people here. So I see us as we're now getting back into things where we are, we came back about two weeks ago, we had our staff now back in the office. So we're all back, we're, we're wearing our masks and so forth. And uh, just seeing our staff do their job. I was so impressed. And Gerardo was, he was in the office every day trying to learn engineering without a staff around him. I was also in the office every day and I would meet with Gerardo and we'd talk. And I'm very impressed with how he was able to handle that. Thank you. No, yeah, I mean, it it was definitely a a learning curve, like I said, is at first it was very weird empty office i'd be usually the only one there very quiet and now two weeks ago now that everyone's back in there it's it's a different place you know lights are on people are talking everywhere people walking around so um but no yeah it's kind of nice like i said i had to learn things on my own and there was only be one engineer one other engineer in the office so if i had a question i couldn't and i could not find out find out on my own i had to go and ask that one person you know, I couldn't just find a favorite, you know, my favorite coworker and go ask them all the questions. Now, like, I had to really interact with all the other engineers. And I think I built a good relationship through that, um, through those one-on-ones days when it would just be me and them. You prefer the quiet office environment or do you prefer the, the, the busier office environment? I like the busy office. It, it makes it feel um, like a more fun place. <laughs> It feels like a lot more family oriented, like a more family environment than just it being like an office where people just go in and do the work. Yeah, I would I agree with that. I I personally found it very difficult. I tried working from home for about two weeks. I couldn't do it. I had to come into the office and uh, and work. So and I missed not having uh, the people here. And because we get a lot of work done by having those little side conversations, you go over to someone's desk, you talk about a project and you might find something out that you didn't realize what was happening on a job. And that is to me, that's really important. And we weren't having those conversations because there was no one here. I, I, I like having everyone back. Yeah. I still have not seen my colleagues in person. Uh, except for there's there was one exception when we were recording videos for a class. Uh, I haven't seen my colleagues in person since March of uh, 2020, so I'm looking forward to seeing them in person too. Hopefully, at least somewhat in the fall. So, Steve, you've been working there for I believe you said 26 years. So you've you've had the opportunity to see some perhaps some long-term trends in your field. Uh, and, and so I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit about uh, what have you seen or what has changed over the last 26 years and, and going forward for the next 5, 10, 15 years, do you see anything significantly changing in your field? And maybe that's something Gerardo will have to worry about uh, more than you. But uh, I was just curious to, uh, for, for, for your insight into how the area of water management may evolve in the future. Yeah. So, you know, when I first started, it was really uh, water agencies, we were under the radar. No one really cared much about us at all. Uh, As long as they got their water, the state really didn't care much about what we were doing other than we were meeting our health goals as far as as water quality. What I have uh, found is 
because of the, the, the drought that we had back in oh, 2013, 14, we had uh, two or three years there of really dry weather. The state has really gotten involved with groundwater management. We didn't have that before. And, and what happened was that the farmers up in Central Valley, they weren't getting their water deliveries from the state water project because there wasn't much runoff from the mountains. They had to figure out, hey, we got to get water to our crops. What they started to do is they drilled a bunch of wells. They started depleting the groundwater in the Central Valley and, and uh, there was subsidence. I mean, there were several feet of subsidence and the state realized, hey, we, got, we have to manage the groundwater. We need to know what's going on in all these different areas to ensure that that doesn't happen again. So as far as groundwater management, that is the future of water management aspect of things. And what I've seen is groundwater uh, modeling has really become uh, a extremely important tool for agencies and to have people who understand how to uh, model groundwater and uh, interpret the data. That's something that is, is we rely on consultants to do. We do not have the staff that can do that type of work. And that's what I see as a, as far as California in the water side of things, I see that is a, a field that uh, will really start to grow. Is, is there any discussion about how if temperatures continue to rise due to climate change, that might impact uh, the snowpack, which will impact the rate that water, uh, because the snowpack is just like a giant water reservoir, which will you know, slowly uh, release its water over the summer months. Um, is there any discussion about how climate change may impact how you manage water going forward? Oh, yes. Yeah, we, we talk about that almost every day regarding climate change. Uh, what's, as far as California is concerned, not, not only the snowpack and the amount of runoff we get, because that's where the, most of our water comes from, especially up north and our farmers, but also in the Delta uh, Sea intrusion uh, sea rise elevation, and they're concerned about that intruding into the delta, which will then contaminate the drinking water, the fresh water. Uh, so those are the two concerns that uh, we have as as far as water management consultants and, and uh, contractors. In your field, how important is it to get an advanced degree? like a master's degree, for example, uh, and what doors uh, will it potentially unlock in the area of water management? I wasn't sure about that being a student, how uh, important it was for me to, to get that uh, degree. What I've realized now is what was really important was getting that experience when I was at school, having that job as in that at that small surveying firm was extremely important getting getting that field experience getting that uh, office experience to me uh, really helped me in my career the other thing that i realized was i didn't know i i knew i wanted to be a professional engineer i didn't know uh, the path until i got into cal poly and for civil engineering Taking the EIT is paramount for civils. And we talked about it as when my first year, we were talking about the EIT. I, I didn't know what it was when I started. And I, I quickly learned what the EIT was. And what I have found is that in the mechanical side of things, I don't, I don't think they stress the EIT in that uh, realm. Uh, I went to a job fair in February of 2020. We were looking for engineers, so we did the Cal Poly job fair. And I talked to several mechanical engineers who were going to graduate. They didn't have the EIT. They didn't know what it was. And to me, to be an engineer for our agency, we have a staff engineering position, which is entry level, but you have to have your EIT. 
if you don't have the EIT, you would be at what we would call an engineering tech, which is a lower paying position. And to me, the EIT was vital. And I would highly recommend that the mechanical department instruct their, their, their uh, students to get that EIT and, and do it when you're in school. Don't try to do it afterwards because you're probably, you're going to forget things. <laughs> and uh, I took it, uh, I think my junior, my third year at school, I, I had enough classes. I got it done. I got it over with. Uh, when we hired Gerardo, he didn't have his EIT uh, initially when we first interviewed him. And that was one thing we really liked him. And we strongly recommended he went and got his EIT. He re-interviewed with us, the position of it, and he got the job. So I see, not, I see getting a job early in the field that you're, that you're interested in while you're still at school. I know it might be difficult. It was, it was hard for me. Uh, getting some sort of internship, though, is really, to me, important. And then uh, in the engineering realm of things, I would stress getting EIT. As far as a master's, I know that it can open some doors for you at firms because of the having that higher knowledge of things. But of course, you got to initially get that job. If you don't have a job and if you don't have that job experience, even if you have that master's, you may be overlooked. Uh, because experience is important. Yeah, to, I mean, to add to that real quick, um, definitely as a mechanical, most, most of my professors said, you know, an EIT or a P is not really necessary for the jobs you want. And it wasn't until my last semester that I really started thinking about it and I said, well, why not just get it? Like, it's not going to make me a less desirable candidate. It's going to make me more desirable, if anything, you know, because I've proven myself out of school. So I definitely recommend for any engineer, whether you're civil, mechanical, chemical, just get the get your EIT, you know, prove yourself out of school. You know, I did it. I started studying my final semester and then I got out of school and I took two more months to study. And then I, I, I took the test and I passed it my first time. Do it as soon as you graduate because all that information is still fresh in your head. You still remember those um, those equations, those those processes of getting an answer. So definitely get the get the EIT as soon as you can. Yeah. And for the, anyone out there who might be thinking about getting the EIT, um, it, I think it, they've changed the name to the FE exam now. So it's called the Fundamentals of Engineering, but it's the same thing. It's a, yeah, it's a test that you just take that I think in mechanical engineering, at least covers 14 or 15 different subject areas. It's a, it's a long test. And actually, I think in the future, I'm going to try to have an episode on that where I interview students before and after uh, taking that test. Um, but you're absolutely right. In, in, in mechanical engineering, it's not stressed as much. And in our own department, I think something in the neighborhood of, of each year, we'll have like 200 to 250 students graduating with a bachelor's degree and something like only 40 or 50, 60, you know, maybe a third of the students roughly will end up, um, or even less than a third, maybe like a quarter of the students actually take the exam. But Hey, if you already got all this knowledge sitting in your head, just go take it. And typical passing rates are like 80, 90%. So I can definitely tell you that, that, uh, it's been, oh gosh, how many years since I got my bachelor's many years and you, you lose a lot of that information. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It does not hurt you to get that. I, I, I strongly recommend you, you work towards that. I, as I said, civils, man, it's like, it is you learn about that really quick, how important it is. And uh, I can't remember which episode it was. Maybe it was episode two. Uh, we talked with a couple civil engineering faculty, and that's one thing they stress a lot is in the world of civil engineering, having that you know FE exam and then also the PE license is often very, very important. Absolutely. Yeah, I would not... I would not have my job and Gerardo would not have his job if we did not have our EIT and I would not be able to move through the company if I didn't have my, my PE. So Steve and Gerardo, you've been incredibly generous with your time and I've learned a lot today. Uh, I do have one more question for you before we go though. 
So if there's a, a student out there, maybe they're in high school, maybe they're currently getting their bachelor's degree. If that student is interested in working for uh, an agency like the Desert Water Agency, you know, how can they better prepare themselves in you know, high school and, and college? Are there certain courses, maybe even non-engineering courses that you'd recommend that they take to, to help prepare to enter this field? And um, how can someone gain a foothold in this field? Uh, I, I know that Steve has mentioned you know, the FE exam, taking that, getting a job early. You know, an internship, for example, would be very valuable. Um, are there other things that you would recommend to help a student who's interested in this field actually have a good shot at being hired? For me, I would I would stress learning communication skills. Maybe taking a class. I think there's a there's a Toastmasters where you have to speak in front of people. I would recommend something of that nature. That is one of the most difficult things I think for people is, is that verbal communication. Take courses on, on writing. Maybe if there's a course that deals with contract writing or even uh, classes that are based on law and construction. Once again, I'm, I'm, always, I'm thinking civil wise, but I'm sure on the mechanical side of things, there might be some uh, subjects regarding the law and maybe uh, when you get a trademark or something of that nature on, a, on something that you uh, construct. I, I think that would be really important for you to, to branch out and not just necessarily focus on your specific engineering uh, classes. I would just say, just get yourself involved. I mean, if, if you really want to be in this industry, look for internships. There's always internships over the summer for multiple areas. I know Desert Water has an has engineering internship that we offer. Just get yourself involved. Watch videos when during your downtime. If you're not doing anything, pull up YouTube and look how a reservoir works. Look up, um, you know, designing of a reservoir, how pipelines work, how pumps work, you know. And as you start watching more and more videos, you start being able to communicate that easier. You know, someone will be talking about that topic and you'll be like, oh, the reservoir, oh, this reservoir over here does this, this and that. And all of a sudden you surprise yourself. You're like, oh, wow, I, I had all this knowledge from watching these videos during my free time that it just it just gets stored. So definitely just get yourself involved. Do, if you're looking for a senior project or a project in general, have it related to water. Um, I know my senior project was had to do with water. And so it just kind of, it was very natural for me to just go into this industry. Yeah, I, I agree with Gerardo. Uh, you know, and the thing too is be willing to maybe do things that although you may feel that, hey, that's below me, be willing to do that. As I said, I, I had that job. I, I would sweep the steps outside. I delivered drawings to the city. But what I was learning was I was learning the process when I delivered drawings. I, I would talk to the people at the city, uh, the, at the engineering counter. I established that networking on that end of things. So be, you know, be a go-getter. Don't, don't feel something is below you. And develop good communication skills and organizational skills and, and try not to procrastinate. I, I was really bad at that when I was in school. I'd wait until, if there was a report due, I'd wait until uh, maybe two days before and I'd try to cram it all in. And I realized that was a bad way of doing things. So, and, and you're gonna carry that. If you, if you don't learn to fix that, you'll carry that into your career. When I first started the, my first month or so, I was just scanning old drawings because all the other engineers were working from home. And so we just have paper drawings in the office that if an engineer needed to, you know, reference, they had to come into the office. So the, my first month or so, I was just grabbing old drawings from the 40s, 50s, 60s. They're falling apart and I'm putting them through the scanner and putting them on the drive so that the engineers could access them at home. So, you know, and I learned a lot just looking at those old plans. You know, it's, it's, it's a very... Like Steve said, humble yourself a bit and do stuff that, you know, you're 
work your way up, you know, don't just expect to go in there and, and be the, the head honcho of the place. So, Well, Steve and Gerardo, thank you again. Thank you so much for your t- taking a, a lot of uh, your time to, to talk about uh, your workplace, your agency. Uh, my background is in the thermal fluid sciences. So I always love talking about all things related to water. And this has been really fun. So thanks again. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Paul. It was, it was a pleasure. Thanks again to Steve and Gerardo for sharing their experiences working at a water utility agency. As we discussed during the interview, both Steve and Gerardo work for a public entity, and their work is critically important for the health and well-being of many people. Now, working in the public sector often allows you to feel like you're giving back to the community, which many people highly value, including myself working as a faculty member at a state university. And while the main goal of this episode was to share what it's like to work at a water utility, I hope this episode also gave you a better idea of some of the other potential benefits of working in the public sector, things like having a good retirement package and a less stressful workplace. Before I sign off, I'd like to mention that if you're enjoying this podcast, there are a few ways that you can support it. You can subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcast app, such as Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Spotify, and many others. You can rate the podcast and leave comments on whatever app you use to listen to the podcast. And finally, you can help spread the word about the podcast by telling your friends and family and anyone else you think might enjoy this podcast. If you have any comments about this episode, feel free to email me at tesepodcast at gmail.com and I'll place the email address in the show notes. I'll personally read each email and try my best to respond to them all. So take care, everyone, and goodbye for now.